0: The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited.
1: This morning, um, you can mark this on your calendar as having the least distinguished speaker at your chapel this year. Um, I am not Tim Keller, obviously. Um, I am a guy that grew up in rural Oklahoma, poor, broken family. Uh, nothing in my pedigree or my resume would give me um, the opportunity to get to speak to you this morning. Um, but I find myself with these type of opportunities on a more regular basis than I ever would have predicted. And um, when someone asks me, you know, why that is or how that happened, um, I ha- I can say that going back to a conversation that I had in the spring of 1999 um, that I'm gonna talk about this morning, it opened up the world to me. I'm 47 years old, and when I was your age, I graduated from Oklahoma State University. Uh, I was not getting letters from Penn. No one was interested in having me in their academic program. Uh, Paid my way through school working full-time doing illustrious jobs like welding and building fences and pouring concrete. Um, not very glamorous lifestyle. Through my twenties, uh, my professional track that I was on largely disintegrated, and um, it fell apart on me. And so, uh, I was someone that had been a Christ follower growing up. Uh, I was um, involved with Campus Crusade, which was large at my my university. Um, I actually got to speak nationally. And then as soon as my degree basically failed me, um, my decision was to run wholeheartedly to all the areas of depravity and sin and brokenness that I had uh, kept myself from through my life up to that point. So in my 20s, my life was best described as um, a disaster, Um, the locust consumed those years. It was the years years that I look back on uh, as tragic at best. My late 20s, when I was in my 20s, I actually, for a living, I worked on a ranch in southern Oklahoma. I was a ranch cowboy, and it's as cliched as you think it is. I was horseback every day, um, drove big trucks, worked cattle for a living, uh, fixed fence, and wore hats and boots and the whole thing. Um, at $750 a month, which was really difficult to pay the student loans and to drink as much beer as I did at that time on $750 a month. And, yes, thank you for that. Yeah. Woo! Good choices. All right. So, you're at Cairn. You're not supposed to openly admit to those decisions. So... um, So, yeah, you can relate. That was my 20s. It, I was poor and in debt and uh, drunk a lot. And so, um, not to pass over that, but that's kind of a different conversation because I couldn't figure out how to get in the, out of the hole that I was in at that time of my life. Um, boy, it's a long story, but I ended up in Colorado working uh, through a series of events for a ranch, and a friend of mine had told me about Lost Valley. Now, I had never been to a dude ranch in my life. As a matter of fact, where I'm from, we didn't even know that they existed. Um, But uh, through a series of relationships, I I found myself uh, working at Lost Valley. And quickly, um, I found that my life was starting to take shape in a direction and in a form that I never would have e- expected. So in the spring of 99, we, would, uh, we have a staff conference every spring, and it's where we get together as a staff, and I take everyone off of the ranch, and we spend a few days together kind of dialing in and focusing on an agenda in the direction that we want, um, we want the year to go and uh philippians 2 was uh the cornerstone passage um for that for that spring of 99 staff conference and um i remember listening to a friend of mine who was speaking at that time and he was a missionary in the middle east um and he told me that lost valley was the most it had the most significant positioning for the gospel of any place that he had been involved in. And at that time, he was the vice president for Habitat for Humanity in the Middle East. So he was in Egypt. Um, he lives, he still lives in, a, in Amman, Jordan. And when he told me that, it, it, was, it had a huge impact on me because I could not figure out how in the world... group of us living out in the middle middle of the mountains in Colorado actually had a a significant impact. And he said, Philippians 2, he said, the ranch is a place where Philippians 2 gets to be lived out on a daily basis, and it's really difficult to replicate that in any other job context. And so um, I'm going to read a little bit of Philippians 2. And... This has been a quarterstone passage for me um, for quite a while. I am aging, so I have to put on my, my glasses to read this. It says, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort provided by love, any fellowship in the Spirit, any affection or mercy, complete my joy and be of the same mind by having the same love, being united in Spirit, and having one purpose. Instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, each of you should, in humility, be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. Each of you should be concerned not only about your own interests, but also about the interests of others as well. You should have the same attitude toward one another that Christ Jesus had. And as read earlier, the next passage is one that uh, in... it. We don't know a lot about it. There's some thought that maybe it's very, an, a very ancient liturgical passage, maybe even a hymn. But uh, in, in scholarship, it's called the great kenosis or the kenosis, which is a Greek word for pouring out or emptying. And it's, and it's significant because there's a statement that Paul's making to this church in Colossae, and, that, and he's saying, listen, if you want to have significance, if you want to continue to do the things that you've been doing, that I praise God for daily for you, then the secret to that success is going to be that you view others as more important than yourself. And his example of this is Jesus, and this kenosis, this emptying, is Jesus not being like God, but being God who has the uh, keys to the throne room, who has all the rights and privileges, who spoke creation into existence just using words, that Jesus empties himself out. He doesn't become less. He doesn't reduce himself. What he does is he takes the opportunity to set aside the privileges And he has all the power and capacity of God, but he submits all that power and capacity to the Father that he chooses to not engage with all of the power of deity for a period of time while he lives in submission to the Father to make sure that he has the opportunity to serve his creation. And the service of his creation ends up looking like death on a cross. So my thesis is, my argument to you this morning is, I don't pretend, I was in a class this morning and I said the same thing, that I don't pretend to think that we're all on the same page here spiritually. Some of you guys are going to a Christian school because mom and dad said that's where you're going. Some of you are going here for all kinds of different reasons. But in a group this size, not everybody's going to be coming from the same place spiritually. I don't even pretend that everyone here that hangs the label of Christian around your neck while you're here actually believes in the things that make you a Christian. That's just the reality. The majority of people who are checking, when 85% of America checks the box of Christian on the census, is that, I mean, are we really seriously thinking that everybody that checks that box is walking as a believer that actually knows the gospel? So for some of you, this isn't going to preach very well. Matter of fact, for all of us, This is a really difficult thing to do. I think that Christologically, I think that practically speaking, Philippians 2 holds the keys to what a transformative, successful life looks like. And it is the opposite of what most of culture and even your friends and probably even a lot of family will tell you. It's not about you. There is so little of this life that is actually focused on you that it is really uncomfortable. At dinner I was with some students last night and one of the things that I hear sometimes when we hire people is, who's pouring into me? And I will tell you that that's actually never a biblical mandate. There's nothing in scripture that says, make sure someone is pouring into you. But it is a consistent theme that it says, you need to be pouring into somebody. And you know what the presumption is? That God's going to take care of you if you are training, equipping, discipling, pouring into, investing in other people. The assumption is God's going to take care of you. How? I don't know. It isn't going to be easy oftentimes. And oh, yeah, you might die. That's not very fun. Right? I mean, my friend from the Middle East, he's always telling me, he's like, hey, My man, you're going to die, so get on with it. It's like, that's comforting. So, like Keller does not teach that at Redeemer, by the way. So, my thing is, is, listen, you've got, right now at your stage of life, you've probably got like 60 years in front of you. And you're just getting started. And if you don't know what you're going to do, if you're looking at your degree going, this is kind of a joke. I, I, not to say the Karen degrees are a joke, but it's that you're looking at it going, I don't know what I'm going to do with this thing. I don't even know where to start. I'm not even sure I like this degree. It was like, it had the easiest classes as a freshman. So whatever it is that you're, where you're at right now is a 20-something or maybe not even in your 20s, don't, don't worry about it. All right, I've got Oh, I will give you some of the degrees I have if you would like. They aren't really doing me a lot of good. I, I've got a master's at Dallas Seminary. That's probably the one I use the most because I know how to read kenosis in Greek and tell you about it. And there you go. I have 120 hours, and now you know what I used it for. So. I've got also a master's in, in range management for what I do is I do a lot of stuff with the federal government and, and the Forest Service. And so some of these things are great because I can put it on a piece of paper in front of a banker or an investor or a, 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 someone in the government, and I can show them this, and they're like, oh, well, you know stuff. And it, that, it, that's good. And you need an education if you want to be able to have opportunities. But don't sweat the fact that you don't know how to use the education that you're getting right now. Because it's not, it's not a problem. Because as you move, you are going to start figuring out how to tie together the things that you're learning how to do practically with the theoretical information that you're getting right now. And that'll develop over time. So my challenge to you is you need to figure out how to redefine what success means and what it is. I get to run a four-diamond property. The majority of our guests have a lot of money. Um, They have a lot of influence. Um, Some of them, I've got cell phone numbers of people that you see on the news and on TV that are really dear friends of mine. Uh, I've got people that, have literally billions of dollars, and it's the same problems. Yeah, listen, they don't have to worry about buying their groceries, but identity, significance, purpose, who am I, why am I here, what am I doing with my life? And to sit down with someone that is worth infinite amounts of money in my office and have them look at me and go, I have no earthly idea what the last 30, 40 years of my life have been for. Because the majority of the people who come to our ranch are not Christians. We are not a Christian ranch. We're not like Young Life, like Windy Gap. We're not a camp. We're a four-diamond, very high-end guest ranch that costs a ton of money to come to because people want to have that kind of an experience. So I'm going to show a a video, real quick. Um, can you guys go ahead and play it from back there? If not, Kevin, I can pull it up up here. I threw him. A, I threw him a loop. I just wanted to check your IT team out.
0: I remember being five years old and being in the corral and looking up at Helen's Rock and thinking, this place is really special. Every time you come out here, when you cross the cattle guard, you just feel completely at peace. You don't see buildings or electric lines. You don't see anything. You just see God's creation. It is amazing. It's a a beautiful setting in the middle of the Pike National Forest. Uh, We spend a lot of time out uh, on horseback riding through the pines and the creeks. Uh, See some amazing views from way up high. I know of no other place where you just bond as a family. There's so many wonderful activities to do with the kids. Um, You know that your children are in wonderful hands by people who want to spend their summer, their life, investing in them. It's great for your wife and your kids because um, they get a lot of amenities that they might not get in other vacation settings. That is to say, turn down service, logs in the fireplace, chocolates on your pillow, um, delicious meals all day long, every day. This has been the place where I feel like I've grown up. My daughter's 14, she goes out with the teen program and I think she said to me uh, last night she makes better friends here in a week than she makes all year at school because of the surroundings, the environment, the quality relationships that the staff facilitates and the kind of program they put together. The staff is handpicked from all over the United States. All I can say is it's sincere and genuine. You don't feel like this is an act in any way, shape, or form. I've never been to a place like this where the staff has been so attentive and interested in in, in what we like to do. It's adventurous for the kids and for the adults. If if you're bored it better be because you want to because there are activities going on uh, from early morning till after dark, trap shooting, you've got the swimming pool, you've got the tennis courts, you've got the Orvis fly fishing school. This has been an, an incredible experience. We really like it here. This is an experience that you will never forget. This is absolutely the favorite vacation. This is the one place every year we never miss. It's just the perfect vacation.
1: We've been in existence since the 1800s operating as a guest ranch since the early 1900s under the current management philosophy since 1960. We're a Colorado C corporation, we're not a nonprofit. Um, I've got a board of directors, I've got shareholders, I've got 70 staff and on average 85 guests a week. Uh, we have 150 horses, we operate on about 37,000 acres on one of our operations. We've got a, another hay operation that's 18,000 acres. We've got a breeding operation for our horses. We've got part of our cattle management program is up in the border between Colorado and Nebraska going into Wyoming. Those are the metrics. Everyone always wants to hear the numbers. It's kind of a so-what, though, because in that we don't talk about any of those things. I have the opportunity and privilege to work with and work for some of the greatest people I've ever known. So the secret to this whole thing and the way that that place, that's where I get to work every day. And that's not, I don't look like this. I'll show you a picture. This is the costume my wife picks out for me when I go to the East Coast. Um, Yeah, I know, it's like she goes to Nordstrom's and I get the American Express bill. And I'm like, this is, that's what I typically look like. Yeah, that's way cooler than... This, Um, so that's where I get to get up and look at every day. Um, Access to the things that I have access to comes from Philippians 2. We operate with a philosophy that our relationships with our guests are not transactional. We don't serve people so that they will just give us money and come back, because we can't control that. We can't control their spending decisions. We don't, we're a four diamond property, but we actually got there, believe it or not, on accident. 1976, in the first year, that AAA started rating properties in Colorado. They came to us and said, by the way, you're, you're, a, you're a four diamond property. We're like, oh, that's great. We've been the longest running four diamond property in the state of Colorado. And it's a byproduct of viewing others as more important than yourself. When we say that we're going to serve people in such a way that creates transformational relationships and gives legitimacy to the things that we have hope in, the way in which we do that, if I have an agenda and you come to our ranch and you're a Jewish family from Long Island and you've got you're a hedge fund manager, you can go anywhere in the world, you do go anywhere in the world, and you fly in your plane into South Denver, we pick you up, we drive you into the ranch, and you come in, and the first thing I start wanting to tell you about is Jesus. I would have to lock the door to keep that family from running across the cattle guard to escape. Because you don't get to do that. One, it's not legitimate, it's not okay. But over a course of a week, and doing one week a year for a decade and serving their kids and loving their kids in such a way that they've never experienced it before and taking care of them with excellence. And excellence matters. Hard work matters. Character is critically important for our success. And they come back year after year after year, and then I'll have coffee with the dad, and he'll say... How are you? Where do you find these staff? How do you How do you get this kind of caliber of people? I tell them I get them from all over the world, and I share with them. You know, we share the same value system. And by legitimizing the things that we say that we believe, by viewing them as more important than ourselves that when they come to the ranch, and listen, you guys, you live on the East Coast, you know how often do you go into a place that's supposed to give you service and you go in ready to fight because you know that they're not really going to try to take care of you. Like an airline, did you know that the airline industry, I apologize for any of you that work for the airline industry, if you, the airline industry, they, they talk to you like you are lucky that our plane stays in the air. So go get in line and be quiet. Because I fly enough that I'm like, these people just, they don't even like us. It's like, gosh, you're on our plane again? And you just go, oh, can I just have some peanuts? Because I am really f- afraid this thing's not going to, because you know that it's magic, right? That these things are not supposed like, they'll tell you it's Bernoulli, but you talk to a physics major and, like, we don't even know what the Bernoulli effect is. And so it's in the air, and you're looking out the window going, they don't all stay up, and and you, but you get on the ground and you're like sweating and you're going, you know, and you get off the plane, and they look at you like, mm-hmm. and you and you walk off. That's the service industry that you tend to find, and so we get a lot of people in in New York. I was just in New York, and it's just so competitive, right? And it's just. You just, there's so many people and you, and I, and everyone's not in the best mood because you just have a lot of folks and you can only be so happy touching people for so long. And so, but they come down to the ranch and they, and they get there and they're like, and we want this, this, and this. And then they meet Caroline Goof who runs our guest services and reservation. And this is the sweetest human being that God has ever designed. And they're demanding stuff, and she is saying yes, and we've already taken care of that. And, and she's from South Georgia, and she speaks a form of English that kind of causes people to quiet down. And, 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 they get, and they start to relax. And then over a week period of time, our staff love them and take care of their kids and engage with them in such a way that they start to go, what is going on around here? They think we're Mormons. <laughs> And the reason why, if I can show you this picture, the reason why is because I look like Joseph Smith, I guess. (laughs) I have five kids, and they're all young, and all the Mormons have a lot of kids. And we're in the West, and they assume that if you're a Mormon, You live out in the West and do ranching, and you've got beards, and we're not Amish, all right? (laughs) But they don't know what we are, and that's when we get to engage. And when they get taken care of and loved in sacrificial ways, that is a transformative experience for them that... They don't know what to do with it. They don't know what box to put it in. Because no matter how much money you pay, you you can't buy your way to being loved. And the gospel informs us that because Jesus, who had all the rights and privileges of deity as the Son of God, he set that to the side and emptied himself out. And by the way, that emptying... There is some language in there that that informs us that it's not just emptying out, like just pouring himself out. He poured himself out so that we may experience and be covered by all that he is. And that's the gospel. That's the cross. And when you live that out, it legitimizes the thing that you say you hope in. I get to travel occasionally with my very good friend over here, Kevin Singleton, he is a worship leader at Hillsong, New York. And he comes out to the ranch, and we serve together on an organization called Elevate USA that engages with uh, the most um, marginalized, um, certainly uh, the most at-risk students in the United States. Uh, he's in a school district in New York, public schools, where the graduation rate is maybe in the 57%. And the students that go through their program with Elevate are in the 90-something percent. And they're going on to do big things. They're going to schools like Michigan. They're going to school at UVA, Harvard. Um, And these are kids that society and culturally, they've been left behind. And I'm involved with them not because working with inner city kids is something some white dude from rural Oklahoma is, you know, naturally equipped to do. But I do it and I work with them because, one, I know what it feels like to be poor, and two, I know what it means to love others is more important than yourself. Context is context. It doesn't matter where you find yourself. It doesn't matter what suit you wear, what costume you've got on. It doesn't make any difference. The mandate that is transcultural It extends to all places, and at all times, and all peoples. Is that Christ died according to the Scriptures. He rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures, and He appeared to Peter, to the twelve, and more than five hundred. And because that happened, for those who believe, something fundamental has happened to who you are, and you have a responsibility. And that responsibility is that no longer do you get to shine the light on yourself. It always points to others. I'll end this real quick with an analogy I I think is significant. Um, We have a tendency to view ourselves in such a way that, one, we've been told our whole lives how significant we are, or we have felt so insignificant that we've had to claw and scrape to gain significance but either way wherever you set on that continuum is this feeling and this attitude and this idea that i'm not enough i'm not significant enough and i need money i need prestige i need position i need a title i need a spouse a car clothes Something to give me dignity, something to give me worth, and something to give me value. And what I'm going to argue is that if you want those things, not necessarily the spouse or the car, but if you want some significance, if you want dignity, if you want to be viewed in the way that we all crave so deeply as a believer, it's going to come through offering yourself up sacrificing yourself and viewing others as more important. It just may not happen in this life. But hey, we're all going to die, so let's just get on with it. Thank you, guys. I appreciate the time we had. And uh, I'll be around all day.